There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 155. Today in the show, we are joined by Nick Pinazzotto, the president and CEO of the National Deer Alliance, and we're going to be discussing the 2017 North American Deer Summit and the most pressing issues currently facing deer and deer hunting. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And as I just mentioned, joining us here shortly is Nick Pinazzotto of the National Deer Alliance. And as of this recording, tomorrow, the 2017 North American Deer Summit will be kicking off in Austin, Texas. And when you're listening to this, it will have actually just ended. But uh, Nick was kind enough to block off a little bit of time today just before the event kicks off to talk to us about what's going to be covered at this event over the coming days, why this summit is so important, and then we'll dive into some of the most important issues actually facing the deer hunting, the deer hunting community right now. Excuse me, Stuff like the latest on CWD, hunter access, the farm bill, um, and a whole lot more. And I feel pretty strongly that as deer hunters and members of this community, you know, it's our responsibility, each and every one of us, to, to be doing at least our very best to stay up to date on what's going on out there when it comes to deer and deer hunting, and when needed, to step up and make sure that our wildlife and wild places and, and our rights to do this, that those things are taken care of. So with all that said, I think episodes like this are pretty important in helping us all be able to do that, and uh, that's why I'm excited about this today. So what do you think about that, Dan? Agree? Yeah, dude. I uh, Anything that has to do with spreading a positive message and a good word i'm all for right on so talking about a positive message and the good word how are you doing today do you have a positive <laughs> message today <laughs> i think the uh the the five or ten minute conversation we had on before this before this uh recording started uh we'll let you know that but you know out of <laughs> out of all the days i've lived my life this this day here is not my best day ever. No, I'm I'll sorry put it to, to you that, that way. Yeah. But I tell you what, coming and recording this 
shines a little light on my day. It brings me a little positive, you know, like positive attitude. Some uh, gives me some well needed good voodoo, I guess you could say, right. as opposed to all the other BS I've been dealing with. So I hear you. So, so are you saying that I'm the sunshine in your life? In a way, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sound like. You know, fruitcakey, but uh, you are in a way. So just, you're, just you're, I want to hear you say that. <laughs> you're a beacon of hope, Mark. You're a beacon of hope. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. <laughs> I, I just heard, I'm not going to say who you were talking to, but I just heard Dan throw down a little bit before we got on this. He, he goes, you are on my time now. <laughs> so you're going to wait. <laughs> and yeah. you, you were talking to your two-year-old son, right? No. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I had, he ate too many popsicles and I, I had, <laughs> you to are on my down. time now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got to remember to shut the microphone off <laughs> before I talk to anybody else outside of the, of the podcast. You, you heard me yell at my dog and then you heard me yell at somebody else. So that's so funny. The dog was awesome. I do remember that one. <laughs> that was great. So what else is new other than a rough day? Oh man, I got a honey do list done for my wife. I saw that on Instagram. That looks good. I tell you what, our back deck has no shade, right? Mm-hmm. And I was watching a little DIY network, which is bad, you know, because not <laughs> only was it this, my wife has always been like, hey, I want some shade. We can never use our back deck. It's so hot back there. So I build this little, uh, basically a shade wall, right? It's not connected. It's connected to the deck. And I strung some lights up on it and made it look real cute. And uh, my wife is happy. And I think, I just think that might equal one or two extra days, those brownie points (laughs) in a tree stand this year. That's awesome. You should like keep track of all the different projects and brownie point things you do. And then what you believe the (laughs) estimated return on investment (laughs) in deer hunting (laughs) leads to. (laughs) And we should look at that at the end of the year. (laughs) That would be like an insurance claim where uh, the, the body shop says, uh, it's going to cost $8,000 and, and the insurance company goes, uh, we're going to pay you a thousand. Right. So, so I could just, okay, well, uh, honey, based off all the projects I've completed this year, um, I'm going to need about 54 days off to hunt and she's going to go, okay, nice initial offer. Uh, and then she turns back and says, you're going to only get five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get, get a try though, right? Oh Yeah. It's funny. Life just it's a roller coaster, dude. Just hold on. That's that's the truth. Do you do uh do you do any deer stuff lately? You got any progress made other than the honeydew? No. Um I did, however, you know that gift that I'm talking about you're gonna get that you have to open up on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be picking that up here pretty soon. Wow, this is like I don't know, something you have to pick up? Man. Yeah, I gotta pick it up. We're Dude, really it's gonna, building it's this gonna, up. There is a potential for this to meet be uh, a mental orgasm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> There's also a chance that I'm building this up to a way greater proportion than it deserves to be. <laughs> like that one time I built you up like that on an episode in the beginning? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I totally, I totally let you down. I, that's my fault. Uh, none of us can be perfect, Dan. No, no. But what, so I'm me on my end, I haven't really done any type of deer stuff. I'll just be honest to you. So I'm going to like flip the script and I'm going to ask you, what have you done? 
I have I have continued continued checking or working through the checklist. Um, the big stuff I had done this weekend was uh, Friday afternoon. Got my uh, food plot screens planted and fertilized and all ready to go. So that was good. I got that one area of my front food plot that now I've got a nice 10-yard wide strip planted all the way around the outside that's going to block that off from the bigger field and from a road and some stuff like that. So uh, a little nervous about that, though, because I decided to plant that day because there's supposed to be rain on Saturday and Sunday, and then again this week, Tuesday and Thursday. Well, I've been I've been gone since Saturday, but I'm pretty sure when I looked at the weather, we didn't end up getting the 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 rain we were supposed to get down there Saturday or Sunday, and now it's out of the forecast for the rest of this week. So now I'm I'm, I'm getting concerned about uh, some rain issues and whether that's going to germinate and take or not. So yeah, got to keep an eye on that. And um, the good thing is I'm around for a while longer. So worst case scenario, I guess I could I could replant. I have to buy new seed and redo the whole stupid thing but hopefully that's not the case hopefully we end up getting some rain this week and it'll be okay but uh but got that in and um then i went to our northern michigan property with my dad this weekend right and um did some food plot and habitat work up there um you know last year we talked a little bit about how we made our first food plot up there um so our goal this year was to improve that food plot and then expand into another area um, we had a friend up there who had a tractor, and he helped us kind of pull some stumps from the old spot and open up a couple other areas a little bit more. Um, so we went in there this weekend and cut out some more trees, sprayed the food plots to kill off the weed growth there, lots of ferns and stuff, um, and then we limed it all. And we brought up like 1,500 pounds or 1,000 pounds of lime. So put that on there because it's a very acidic soil up there, super acidic, very sandy. Um, so we're just slowly over time trying to improve that pH level. So got all yeah. that done, and um, then I hung a new tree stand up on one of those food plot areas. Excuse me. And that's a gray spot. It's tucked into like a a swath of pine trees, and I'm up in a pine tree, and, and there's no way anything's going to see me up there. Um, I had to carve out so many limbs just to be able to get the tree stand in there and then to get a few shooting lanes, but it's it's blended in really nicely. So I've got a good setup on what's like the only food plot in the area, the only like high-quality food in the area. Um, right on the edge of where this swampy stuff transitions out towards some fields out in the um, adjacent property. So, you know, last year, you know, we saw deer activity on trail camera and the few times I hunted up there, unlike we've seen in decades out there. Um, so I'm really encouraged and excited by that and, and glad to be improving it. We, we added probably it'll double the size of the food plot now with the new stuff we've got opened up. So, it's been pretty sweet. I'm hoping, uh, man, of course I want to get it done in southern Michigan on Holyfield, but if I could fill my second Michigan tag either on a public land buck down here or on a northern Michigan buck, I mean, that would be just the, the coolest Michigan hunting season ever for me. So, And that's kind of crazy because you mentioned um, you know, all the tradition you have with this deer camp up north. Mm-hmm. I think it would be – and didn't you say you had a, a mature buck come on trail camera? on your northern Michigan Michigan property visiting that food plot? Yeah, several. Like it's it's yeah. like I mean and we've we've talked a little bit about this, but I mean before this there hadn't been anything but year and a half olds killed for right. like 20 years and right. since like 2000 since 2000 I think there's only been like two or three deer killed up there at all. Um right. so I mean it's been really really bad, but the last few years it seems to be getting a little better. Um 
and and yeah, I mean, nice bucks. I think it would be awesome nice bucks. if yeah, I think it would be awesome if you could capitalize on that. Like, I'm almost just as excited about the work that you've done on the northern Michigan property because up there there's nothing, right? That's just big woods, and that's yeah. your that's your typical high pressure rifle hunting type of scenario right oh yeah and if you can if you can be successful just with a couple uh terrain alter you know alterations food plots that's that's just a testament for all that other you know all that all that work that you've done yeah uh, from a you know from a tree trimming and food plot planning kind of kind of thing that that does equal you know more deer or bigger bucks yeah it it would be it would be incredibly um, fulfilling to, to be able to do that up there because that is like the place where my very best moments as a hunter and all these formative moments in my life, um, in the outdoors happened up there. So it'd be really cool to, you know, to be able to have, you know, the hunting success that I'm looking for actually in a place like that, that means so much to me. And I think it's possible now that we, you know, there, there's a couple bucks up there I would actually want to shoot. Um, which is incredible. And I'm, you know, I think we're making some improvements. We're figuring it out up there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It would be, it'd be cool. So I'm going to try to devote some time in like early to mid October to go up there. Usually we, I just go up for, um, gun hunting season up there, but I'm going to try to bow hunt it a little right. bit. Um, you know, I'll probably spend the best days down here, but maybe some other times, a couple off days or weekend or something, get up there and, uh, give it a shot. So it's just, it's so, so different. Like you said, it's just, Big, right. big woods and swamp, and there's not, like, ag fields or anything. So um, when you open up a little spot like this, like we did, and put in something that's tasty, you know, it's the one little bit of ice cream in a large area. So it really pulls right. in deer. And I think what we had last year is a doe family group was consistently bedding nearby and hitting this food plot. And in the past, there was just nothing like that. So and we, we didn't yeah. see hardly any deer at all. I mean – you'd have the whole group of guys, you know, four or five guys and you'd hunt for a couple weekends and like, there might be like two deer seen for the whole group. Right. Um, and now it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to change. So with that, with that doe family group or two in the area, now that's hitting this food plot, there was a reason for bucks to come cruising through and stop by. And we had, there were two different bucks during the hunting season that were definitely mature. Like bucks that were, there were two that were at least four. There were two four year old bucks or older that had, pass through that area. Um, I think one was during daylight, um, that I would absolutely shoot. So yeah. if I put in a little more time well, up there, it could be, it could be pretty special. What would be cool is if, uh, I mean, it's already cool. You're getting, you're getting deer that you didn't think existed up there on, on trail camera, just with some, you know, with, you know, a day or two of work. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think it's only going to get better, especially if the neighbors or whoever owns the property around you doesn't do anything. Yeah. And, you know, I should I should note um, it's important to point out that another one of the reasons why I think we are starting to see some more mature bucks, not only am I making habitat improvements, but also coinciding with that. A couple of years ago, this part of Michigan instituted antler point restrictions. So yeah. this is the one part of Michigan where there is a minimum of three points per side um, to yeah. shoot a buck. And that had the work going into like the fourth year of that or something like that, somewhere around there. Um, right. And I think, I think that certainly made a difference because there are other hunters around here. And if they're not shooting all the year and half holds like used to happen, um, right. you know, it's certainly like, I mean, 
I never would have imagined that I'd see a buck like we did on trail camera last year up there. Never, ever would have thought that would be possible. And I got to believe that, that these restrictions has helped, have helped a little bit. Right. So that's awesome. I'm a, I am a huge supporter of antler restrictions. Yeah. It's a tough one. I, um, I, uh, this is a topic that I talk about a lot. Like I always say like me and my buddies were talking about this, just hanging out the other day that I like, personally really like them for my own personal goals but then i also understand Mm -hmm. like why some people you know want to go about it in their own way and i also i'm starting to think well i don't want to impose the fact i want to be targeting mature bucks onto you know someone else who maybe just wants to you know go out once a year and and that's a special time for them so i I understand both sides of the argument but i do think there's a lot of benefits to the antler point restrictions. They've shown there's been a lot of studies and, and surveys done up here in this part of northern Michigan um, asking hunters, you know, what they thought about it, how it's impacted their hunting after three seasons or four seasons or whatever. And hunter satisfaction um, took a noticeable increase since oh. in, since implementing that people have been enjoying it. They've been seeing more deer, more mature deer. Their experience has improved. It hasn't reduced the number of total harvests, I don't think, um, because there's been an increase in doe kill. Um, so people are still putting deer in the freezer. They're just seeing more mature bucks. They're seeing a more um, in a, a better rut, and I think that's a, that's probably a, a net net good thing. Um, right. So it's a tricky one, but I sh- I personally would not mind seeing that implemented more so around us. So we'll see what happens. Right. Amen, brother. Yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, you cannot stick with us for our guest today, can you? No, I got some uh, conflict of interests. I don't think I don't know if that's the right term or not. Right. But <laughs> you have a, a time have, conflict, a scheduling. Yeah, conflict. I have a time. I have a scheduling conflict that popped up, and I can't. Uh, I can't make it. But uh, uh, National Deer Alliance, man, they're doing some great things, uh, and it's a, it's definitely an organization that. Uh, I am I am trying to support as much as possible. Yeah, man. And tell tell our listeners about your T-shirts and, and your little donation program to the NDA. Oh yeah. Um, so I made a T-shirt for the Nine Finger Chronicles um, uh, with my good buddy Justin Czar, who um, owns a T-shirt company called Busted Rack. Right. So he he helped me. He took care of all of all the costs uh, to make the T-shirt, and we're selling it. And all of my profits are going to be donated to the National Deer Alliance. What's cool about that is two of my partners, this is kind of new today, two of my partners, Deer Lab and Exodus Trail Cameras, have decided to match my donation to the National Deer Alliance as well. Uh, So um, that's just more money into – the pocket of the organization so they can help, you know, do research on CWD or whatever they do, uh, to help benefit, uh, the deer hunters all across the nation. Very cool. Well, I think that's a, that was a great idea and I'm excited to see that moving forward and people, people matching it and making it happen. And, uh, That's the kind of thing that makes events like we're going to be talking about here possible, and uh, hopefully Nick will help shine a light on some of the different things that are going on since we talked with him last time, and uh, and I will let him know that uh, you wish you could be here. So now let's take a quick break for a word from our good friends at Sitka Gear and our Sitka Story, and then we will dive right in to our conversation with Nick. 
Here's producer Spencer Newharth. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Mark Butler, a Sitka whitetail ambassador who tells us about an enlightening archery hunt where his camel fooled the doe's eyes and nose. So I uh, I tried to hunt a set that I've been waiting about a month to get into, and uh, I finally got the conditions right. Uh, I had the wind that I needed, and I slipped into this stand. And as the sun started to set, uh, I noticed that the thermals were working against me, and uh, I was a little bit concerned at that point that, you know, the rest of my hunt might be a failure. A few minutes later, I have a mature doe step out, and she has a couple of yearlings with her, and, you know, through her time around me, she noticed that something wasn't right, and I think that she started to pick up my scent a little bit on the grass. And she proceeded to investigate, as those mature animals do, and she ended up working herself all the way over to the base of my tree and uh, actually smelling one of the tree steps, to which she then proceeded to, to stare up into the tree at me in the stand. Um, but I was wearing my Sitka Elevated 2 Optifade pattern, and, um, you know, I had my head tucked down with my chin against my chest, and I was barely looking out underneath my hat brim, and, and she stared right at me a couple times and turned around and walked away and, Took a couple of uh, double takes, you know, to make sure that what she was seeing, you know, was, was okay. And uh, she ended up hanging around. And, um, you know, I attribute that to the effectiveness of the Elevated 2 pattern. You know, later on in the hunt there, 20 minutes later, uh, I have a mature buck step out about 150 yards away in a bean field. He proceeded to work his way down to us. And although I didn't get a shot, uh, you know, or harvest the animal, I consider it a, the hunt a success uh, due to the effectiveness of, you know, the Sitka gear pattern. And, uh, you know, it was still very enjoyable and, and, and a great evening. On Mark's hunt, which took place in eastern Maryland, he was wearing Sitka's Equinox system. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, you can visit sitkagear.com. All right, here with us now on the show is Nick Pinazzotto from the National Deer Alliance. Welcome back, Nick. Glad to be here, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, and I really appreciate you carving out some time in your schedule because you are a very very busy man this week. I gotta imagine. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're already you're down in Texas right now, getting ready for the summit to kick off. Is that right? Yeah, I'm actually down here attending the National Shooting Sports Foundation Industry Summit, which is something I've done the last several years because it's an outstanding program and. When they were setting their schedule, we kind of teamed up and said, let's do the Deer Summit right after that event to try to capture some of each other's attendees. And with Chris Dolnak from NSSF being on the board of directors for NDA, that was a pretty easy thing to accomplish. So, yeah, I'm sitting in my hotel room having just packed up the last participant bag to the Deer Summit. So we're we're ready to launch here. That's what I was just going to ask. I was going to say, so are you are you ready and you feel comfortable with where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. We had most everything in order, I think, by the end of the previous week, which was a good thing. I had a busy personal schedule, so I wanted to get everything pretty much set. And then I'm here early. A couple of the board members are here, and I've got some other folks I noticed starting to trickle in from the airport and uh, some other people that are helping just with logistics and, and getting things pulled together are rolling in. So it's it's about go time. And it's it's one of those things where I'm 
really excited to to have this event. I think we're going to get into some really uh, intriguing topics with some really great people. Uh, but at the same time, I'll be relieved when it's over because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're well aware that the NDA is still a, a pretty small shop and it has dominated our time over the last, well, several months, but particularly the last six to eight weeks trying to get things lined up. So, yeah, this is, this is going to be a big day for us starting tomorrow. That's awesome. So I want to, I'm hoping we can dive into a number of different things because, you know, as I know, this is, this is an important event and it's going to be relevant to, to all deer and deer hunters. So my hope was that unfortunately I can't, I can't be there at the event with scheduling, but I was hoping we could at least bring some of the major topics that are going to be discussed over the coming days to the attention of our listeners and to this community. Because of course, you know, if we're not informed of what's going on and aware of how we can actually do things to, to make sure things are moving in the right direction, you know, we, we lose that control, we lose our influence. And that's not a good thing when it comes to the deer hunting community. And what I'm hoping then is, is to cover a whole lot on the summit. But before all that, we talked with you, I think last maybe August or September, um, maybe it was a little earlier than that. I'm not sure. But when it comes to the National Deer Alliance as a whole, above and beyond what's going on with the summit right now, I was curious what's what's going on with the organization lately. What's kind of the state of the union? Um, anything particularly interesting as far as actions you guys have been taking or, or things you guys are moving forward on that would be of note or of interest to people? Yeah, I think big picture. You know, the National Deer Alliance is a real organization now. And not that, not that we weren't the last time we talked and not that we weren't when the organization officially incorporated in 2015. But th- this is the first deer summit, for example. This is the third one. First one, 2014. There was one in 2015 and now this one. But this is the first one that is fully hosted and run by the National Deer Alliance, which is pretty monumental because I think that's that's an this is an arrival point for us. This is an opportunity to share with people who were at the initial summit before the words National Deer Alliance were ever put together. The organization had no name then; it was just an idea. Someone, you know, not someone, but about 300 people came to a consensus that we needed a National Deer Group. Then the second Deer Summit was about okay we have a we have a name and now we have to put together an organization and as you know having been there and matter of fact you handed me an nda hat at the time because i was using the the deer, deer summit hashtag yep that's as true a participant and now, and yeah, now look at you. The, yeah that, right i didn't know that was going to be the captain's hat but um <laughs> at any rate the, you know we were participants in that and as you know at that time it was still much an more as much of an idea as it was a real thing so this is a big deal. Uh, you know, it, it, the things we'll talk about, and I know we'll talk about this here later on the show, are core elements of why the National Deer Alliance was formed. And we're holding very, very closely to our mission and very, very closely to the things that we determine to be key issues. And being a small organization, we have to do that. But we're doing it with you know, we're bringing in 30-plus experts from across the country to cover these topics. And it's, it's going to be different than what I think most people are used to, but I think in a good way. So that's the that's big picture NDA. We're, we're a real organization, and, and we've found out that we're needed, and we found out that there's more work than we can even keep up with. So that's good. 
uh, you know, specifically, it's been a little bit of a slow time the last couple of months with legislation across the country. And, you know, I think when a lot of average hunters think of legislation, they think of things that are specific to deer, like, you know, they may look at a, a change. You see a lot of, at this time of year, you see states setting their seasons and bag limits and what you can and can't do. And to a lot of, I think, average deer hunters, that's, that's deer legislation. But there's so many other things that, that impact deer. Like I always tell people at any one time, there's probably a hundred different bills across the country that are impact deer hunters. So we could be talking about predator management, for example, where you have states that try to limit hunting things like coyotes or mountain lions or bobcats. Well, these are all deer issues. Habitat, working on the farm bill is something we've, we've got great partners with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and Pheasants Forever who we have, we work on a program called CRP Works. And a lot of deer hunters might not even know what CRP really is, what's a farm bill program, and it's a very important one because it provides habitat. And right now fawns are being dropped or there are a lot of small fawns on the landscape and they're living in CRP. Well, if you start taking away CRP or you cap the amount of area that those have for fawning, for example, that's a deer issue. So we get into these issues that are, I don't want to call them non-traditional, but they're ones that I think that the the average deer hunter out there doesn't think a whole lot about or know a lot about. So these are ongoing. And when you're working on the farm bill, for example, this is an ongoing thing. So you, someone might've raised an eyebrow when they heard me say pheasants forever is a partner. Well, you know, pheasants and deer share a lot of very important habitats. So oh, we yeah. find ourselves being very, yeah, very strong partners. And so they've got folks, working on capitol hill all of the time and we try to involve ourselves the best we can in that and most importantly inform deer hunters that you know this impacts them as well so a lot of issues we worked on i think 39 when i did my annual report last year i think with 39 different issues across the country that we were involved in which i think exceeded expectations because our, our goal in year one and when we last talked was let's just get the organization put together and let's have a real infrastructure and have a have a uh, strategic plan and have real goals and we accomplished all that and then we built the brand new website which i know you were a, a, a huge proponent of uh when you and i first started talking a couple years ago about this mm-hmm. and i i'm i think i'm pretty satisfied with our results there and we got uh this year we're spending more time on promotion of the organization so just trying to get the word out a little bit more uh, we launched a new program, which I'm sure you saw with the Facebook Live program, Coffee and Deer, as an example, yeah. to try to reach more people and answer more questions on a whole host of different issues. Getting on programs like yours, which have huge followings, is helpful to us. I mean, you're, as, a, as a follower of your show myself, you know as well as I do, if you don't do 80% of your shows at least on tactics and new gear and and the actual hunting of the animal, you're going to be a dead show pretty quickly. (laughs) But we appreciate that you understand the importance of that 10 to 20% that you have to weave in the conservation and bigger issues like we're talking about here today. And so we're doing a lot of that, trying to, trying to be on shows like yours and, and others to spread the word about the national deer Alliance and to get people involved. Yeah. Now, when I, you know, as I worked with the National Deer Alliance over the years, one of the questions that I was always getting from people was, you know, what what does the National Deer Alliance do? Like, there's all these ideas, but like, what is the actual action being taken? And I think that's becoming more and more clear. But to your point 
a second ago, you were talking about some of these specific issues, whether it be the farm bill, um, you know, dealing with CRP or, or, or predator management and things like that. Um, just to kind of flesh things out um, to help people better kind of put all this in context or understand how does an organization like the NDA, you know, what kind of action actually can be taken? Is it, is it just, is it just putting the word out there? Cause I know that's an important thing, but I think there's also some behind the scenes stuff going on um, too. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit to add some color? Sure. Yeah. I talked about the farm bill already is one thing that we work on. have been working on pretty hard hunter access. We're going to talk about that in the deer summit and i'm sure we'll get into the topics here later but um you know and unfortunately none of this tends to be exciting it tends to be meetings and working with state i had lunch today with the state wildlife director from indiana for example Uh, it takes a lot of effort to get around to all 50 states and to try to try to get things accomplished in a lot of relationships as there's some of that work you know nda is still very much trying to be looked upon as a a real authority in the deer world by state agencies, for example, so that we can take messages to them from sportsmen and try to get good things accomplished. So, uh, you know, there's that part of it. We haven't even talked yet about chronic wasting disease, but that has been, other than the deer summit in recent weeks, that has consumed most of my time and the deer alliance's time. And one thing we've, we've been doing is positioning ourselves as a lead convener on that issue. So what I mean by that is we're not the scientists, so we're not the ones solving CWD. We're not the ones studying it, but we're convening the people who are studying it. We're convening the state agencies, other non-government organizations like ours, so that, uh, number one, we have a we have a strong unified position so that we're not out there spreading different types of information and confusing people. Um, and sometimes you just need somebody that, that serves as the conduit for these important conversations that happen. So we've been doing a lot of that. We submitted comments to the USDA last year regarding their C- or regarding their CWD program, for example. Uh, we've convened meetings at SHOT Show with key individuals and stakeholders on the disease. Um, it's uh, and I know, I know I'm missing stuff because there's you know there my head's kind of spinning with all the things we've done, but those are things that the that we try to report on the best we can. We try to get it on our website and in our newsletter, but largely a lot of the stuff we're doing on a daily basis not everyone sees. So I, it's I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to kind of you know lay out how a week in the life of the National Deer Alliance, for example, might might unfold. Yeah, and, and to your point. You know, it's it's not always the kind of thing that is like super sexy or like sounds like oh this is like it's hard to say. Well, you know, we influenced X with this specific thing, and it resulted in this massive change. You know, that's going to help deer and deer hunters. But I can tell you from you know just my personal involvement over the years, especially last year, just talking to you every week and hearing okay, Nick's going to this meeting. Nick is at this convention. Nick is at speaking at this thing. Nick is at, I mean, you were all over the country, you know, being a part of important discussions related to deer or speaking and um, sharing your expertise or bringing people together to talk about all these different issues. I mean, it was very apparent, at least from the inside, seeing um, the increased reach of, of the NDA by way of some of the things you're working on. Um, and I'm sure while there may not be, and there probably already are some things, but it, 
it may not be as easy to point and say, you know, this action created this big difference yet, but I know that all of this groundwork you're laying, all these relationships you're building, all this building of influence and, uh, um, I guess, yeah, influence with all these different parties, it's going to translate to positive things because, as you said, you know, you are establishing the National Deer Alliance as a as a resource, as an expert, as as a an organization that can be turned to when people need help making decisions about things or when they need help pushing something forward. Um, so that's I, I see that as as super positive, encouraging, and I've been excited to see that. And I think uh, from what it sounds like, we're only going to start seeing more and more results in the future. Yeah, and I hope so. And that's that's really the theme of what the Deer Summit is about, Mark. And I'm going to, you know, one of the first things I'm going to say at the podium as we kick this thing off tomorrow is, uh, you know, the, the this is the, the time of talking about talking about it is over. You know, we used the first two Deer Summits to talk about the issues to get them out there. But this is the time to, you know, when we leave this Deer Summit, we're going to set the path forward for real action, you know, really doing things. You know, we're going to we're going to talk about what do we really know about CWD and what do we really need to do to get the message to hunters so that they understand it and to respect it, not necessarily be fearful of it. We don't want to scare people from the sport. So messaging is so important. And that's why we're bringing in people from universities and you're not necessarily your likely suspects that you would see at a deer conference to talk to us about messaging, because at the end of the day, even myself, I mean, I find myself in these meetings. I'm like, you know, I'd, I'd rather be flipping through my outdoor life or building stream and, <laughs> you know, thinking about where to hang my trail cameras and all this stuff. Uh, because at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a hunter. You know, that's, that's what I, it gets me excited. And somehow I ended up, you know, being on this end of things, but someone, someone has to do that. And then that's what the, the NDA is all about. So, you know, we had, we had one good example I should have mentioned earlier, and that was we made a call to the Minnesota department of, animal health to take a look uh, for that for that organization to be investigated because of continual issues they're having with captive deer management in that state and that spurred some real action you know we know that there are some people looking closely at things and uh, it has opened some eyes that we would put that strong of a message out there and i think as the nda grows um you know gains traction gains respect you're going to see, I think, more of that stuff where there'll be an issue. We're going to weigh in on it. it might take a hard stance, and it will result in some type of action. So that was probably a real tangible example I should have mentioned earlier. No, that's a great example. So, so let's let's dive in further there when it comes to the summit. We've kind of talked high level, um, but what exactly is happening at the summit? I mean, can you walk us through like? Maybe, maybe even almost what the agenda looks like. I mean, if people, you know, however many people are attending, what are they actually in for these next few days? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just walk right through the program. So, you know, we'll kick off tomorrow at two o'clock, right after the NSSF industry summit finishes up. And I'm going to do just a, a kickoff and, and much of what I talked about early in this call, give people an update on what the NDA has been doing. So that'll be my initial presentation. And then we'll have Kip Adams from QDMA doing the state of the whitetail report. And he, nobody does that better than him. Very true. So it's great to have Kip and the QDMA partners here. And then I'm going to have Jim Heffelfinger from the Mule Deer Foundation, or I'm sorry, not the Mule Deer Foundation, from the Mule Deer Working Group. They work closely with the Mule Deer Foundation. He's going to give the state of the Mule Deer report. So I've got 
two really top-notch people to, to lead us off and talk about what is the state of, of whitetails and mule deer in the country. And then we're going to talk about the Farm Bill. And I mentioned Teddy, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership earlier with Forsberg. Their CEO is is going to be here to give a presentation on Farm Bill and, the, and why deer hunters need to care about it. Matter of fact, the title of his talk is A Deer Hunters Slash Manager's Guide to the Farm Bill. And then our friends at Yeti, since we're in Austin and they're literally a mile away from here, they've invited us down to their shop, to their new flagship, and we're going to have a nice reception down there. And we'll have Nick Wiley, the, the executive director of Florida Fish and Wildlife and Conservation Commission. He's also the president of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. He's going to be our, our dinner speaker. Nick's a, just such a positive guy and a, and a strong speaker, and he works in probably – I don't even know if probably is not even fair. I, I'm going to just say the, the most difficult state to work in when you look at all of the myriad of issues that a state wildlife agency would face in a state like Florida from, uh, you know, the oceanic issues to the, to all the things they've got on land there that are different than in a lot of states and, uh, you know, everything from alligators to key deer. They've got, yeah. they've got it all, and, and Nick has done just a great job there, so we're excited to have him come in and talk. And then the second day, and this is something that I'm that I'm doing that uh, I think is really unique, and that is the entire day is panel discussions. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One, it's a bit selfish because I, I can't stand sitting in an all-day meeting and being talked at. <laughs> so I think it keeps the program going and yeah. flowing in a little more exciting fashion. And the other thing is it allows you to get so many more experts in the room. So every one of these panel discussions, and I'll, I'll go through them here, will have a moderator who's knowledgeable, and five panelists. So you're looking at six people that are going to be on the panel, and then we'll open it up to questions from the audience. And each of these panels are an hour long. So we're going to start off with how do we improve hunter access? A key, key issue in, in deer hunting and why we lose hunters, because people don't have a place to go. And I've got folks from a couple, state, a couple states that have really good programs in North Dakota and Kansas. I've got uh, Lan Tawney from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and that yeah. organization and Rand have been very much in the forefront. And, and I know you've done your best to get the word out about the public land issue, particularly in the West. Mm-hmm. Larry Williams from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and Dan Forster from the Archery Trade Association, a former state director in Georgia, is going to moderate that one. So uh, that's going to be a really good topic for sure. And then we're going to jump into CWD, and we have. We have two panels specific to CWD because it really is the biggest issue, I think, in the deer world right now. We're going to start off with what do we actually know about CWD. Uh, we have Dr. John Fisher from the University of Georgia here, one of the top experts on the disease. Daryl Rolage is coming from Preventative Safety Research, Inc. Uh, out of Canada. And Daryl is a nationally, internationally known speaker on this disease and is excited to be here to, to participate uh, Cornell University, Dr. Christian Schuler, Dr. Kelly Straka from Michigan DNR, and Dr. Mary Wood from Wyoming Game and Fish. That's a panel of doctors and experts, state vets. I mean, I, I'm just really excited to hear those folks talk, talk and Kip Adams is going to moderate that one. Uh, we're, then we're going to go into CWD and the challenges faced by state wildlife agencies because it's not just the disease itself that's a huge issue. It's how do states manage it. And we've got every one of the states that are represented on this panel are states that have CWD and they all have very unique issues. So Wisconsin, for example, has had been knee deep in CWD forever. They uh, unfortunately sort of led the, 
led the way into the CWD awareness with the, whenever they had the outbreak there. So they've been at it probably the longest. We've got Colorado, Arkansas, Wyoming, and Texas all represented on that panel. And they all, like I said, face varying challenges because of it. And then, you know, I haven't been shy about telling people this is the one I'm most excited about, and it's why I chose to moderate this one. Uh, and that is navigating the political and social science of deer management. One of the themes that came out of the first deer summit and into the second one was this idea that so few deer hunters involve themselves or are aware of issues or join national deer organizations. So we've got 83% of the entire hunting industry are deer hunters, but 1% or less will actually join and get active in things. And that's a, that's a scary thing. So we're going to have some human dimensions. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have some human dimensions experts on this panel, uh, myself with a psychology background to talk about how do we get to these folks and how do we get your listeners, for example, to care about the issues. So we have uh, Dr. Lou Cornicelli from the Minnesota DNR, Anthony Licata from, uh, from Bonnier Corporation, you'll yeah. know him mostly from the Outdoor Life and Field and Stream, right? Our two biggest outdoor hunting magazines. Uh, you know, Anthony's in charge of those, and I think his perspective is someone that has to. They have to be pretty good at messaging and getting their, getting hunters uh, interested in things, or they wouldn't be in business. Uh, we have uh, Doctor Doctor Catherine McComas from Cornell University. We've been working quite a bit with Cornell, uh, trying to lean on some of their expertise. We are. Our members that maybe your listeners as well hopefully participated in Cornell's study that we're a survey that we put out a couple weeks ago. Dr. Craig Miller from the Illinois Natural History Survey and Dr. Grant Woods, who I know a lot of your listeners know from Growing Deer. These are all people that deal with messaging and, and communicating with hunters. And we have to figure out, for example, I mentioned how do we inform hunters about CWD with good information, by the way but not scare them from the sport. You know, how do we get them involved in a positive way? And I hope those are some of the things that we get to. And then our final panel will be NDA in partnership with hunters, industry, and state wildlife agencies. And it's talking about how can NDA be most effective working with all these groups? So we have uh, a fellow by the name of Tim Donjus, who is a, I'll just describe him as a hardcore hunter. This is a guy who lived in Pennsylvania and moved to Kansas just because the deer hunting was better. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's hardcore, very active in QDMA. Uh, we have uh, representation from the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, who we have a, a good relationship with. As a matter of fact, we have a memorandum of understanding with them. We work on issues together. Chip Honeycutt from Arcus Hunting, that's a company that owns several archery products that uh, people are familiar with. Uh, Wayne LaRoche from the Pennsylvania Game Commission, Pennsylvania obviously being one of the top deer hunting states in the country. And Andrew McKean from Bonn, you're an executive editor of Outdoor Life magazine. And mm-hmm. Andrew, as you'll recall, Mark, was one of the big proponents for a national deer organization. So we brought him back yeah. and we're going to get his take and his perspective. So to have people like Lakata and McKean together in the same room, I think the only place we've ever accomplished that before was at SHOT Show. <laughs> you know, at the social gatherings in the evening. So right. they're just so such busy guys. And for them to take time out of their schedule to travel down here and do this, I think says a lot. So we're excited about that. And then I'll wrap it up after that. And I'm going to take the information we've gained and form my final talk, which I don't know what it'll be yet because I'm going to wait and and just pull in the themes from the event and then sum it up. So I, I feel really good about it. Like I said, over 30 national international experts on deer and deer management and hunting. I, I don't know if I've ever seen such a, 
what I would call a powerhouse program to talk about deer issues like we're going to do it. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's a heck of a slate. I, uh, listening to you list all those names off and all the topics again, and I'm thinking, I'm like, gosh, I would love to be able to be there. Um, and you know, speaking of that, do you guys have plans to to record anything, uh, share anything through social media? I mean, it, for those of us that aren't there, is there going to be any way that we can see or hear any portions of it? Yeah, I think the biggest thing you can do is follow our social channels. We're going to do our best to be active on Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook. Tomorrow morning, we're going to do a Facebook Live, our Poppy and Deer program at our normal time. And my guest will be Ben O'Brien from Yeti. Cool. And we'll talk about some issues. Ben's a big time hunter on top of, you know, being a big marketing guru down there at Yeti and uh-huh. being such a good partner over the years. Uh, so we'll have him on. That'll be pre-summit, but we'll be going over some of the things you and I are talking about here. And again, just our social channels. We're not going to stream the whole thing. We're not really prepared with technology yet to stream the whole thing on Facebook Live, for example. Maybe by the next summit, we'll be a little little more prepared to do that. So um that's probably the best way to follow what's happening. Okay, cool. So what ultimately, when this thing is all said and done, what is your hope? What What's the goal of all this going to be? What's the, the action item or the, the final piece of, of tangible something at the end of all this? What do you want that to be? I think the first thing is I want to make sure that we paint a picture of what's going on in the deer world, the real picture. And when I say the real picture, that is, the picture that is way bigger than just when does deer season start and end in my state and what can I use to shoot them or, you know, that's, that's the hunting, right? But the, the deer, the whole picture of what's going on in the deer world, you know, what, what, and then from there, we need to point to real actions to make a difference. So great. We've had this great discussion on deer hunting and access. What are we going to do about it? You know, I think people will hear me say that throughout the event. This is great, but what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. So to force people to start thinking about what the next steps are. And it's not going to be fair to us just here at the summit to develop those. But I think we'll take the information back. We'll look at it and we'll push out some of these things as, as time goes on. But I think it's a real call to action. It's, it's a call to action to what I refer to as being a well-rounded hunter. And a well-rounded hunter nowadays is not what we grew up with, which was, you know, I know how to hunt uh, with a bow and a gun, and I know how to hang a trail camera and build a, you know, grow food plot. It's, it's, that's not a well-rounded deer hunter. A well-rounded deer hunter is also being aware of the issues, because in the, at this time in our society, it's required. There's so many issues and so many people trying to skew what deer hunting is and even to some extent take away our ability to hunt deer. We need to be more well-rounded and we all have that responsibility. It's no longer good enough to just say, well, I'm a hunter and you have to find time. I I did gave a talk not all that long ago in Pennsylvania where I told the group, you know, if you can do one thing for me, find time to at least get involved in one issue, just one issue that you may not have before, right? one letter to a legislator that you maybe had never done that before. And that'll get the ball rolling and help get people to understand that there's, it's much bigger than just going out on opening day and hoping for good luck. Yeah. So true. And, and to your point, for whatever reason, unfortunately, as a deer hunting community, it's been relatively, uh, I don't know if it's apathetic um, or, or something, but 
to that that number you you mentioned earlier that only only one percent of the largest group of of hunters in the country is actually involved in a deer related organization like this. I mean, there's so much runway. There's so much um, that. What am I trying to say? There's so much potential for action and things we can do if if a larger proportion of that group does some of these things and gets involved and, and starts paying attention. Um, and and we have to do it, right? I mean, it's it's required, like you said. Yeah, because to be honest with you, you know, it it doesn't mean crap if I just go in personally and let's say I'm sitting across the desk from a high-ranking legislator in D.C. If I'm just sitting there talking about we need to do this, we need to do that, that's not going to move the needle. You know, what moves the needle is me saying on behalf of our X number of members, and this is why this is why this is important and why we need you to do something about it. And then on the back end of that, he or she is hearing from people who care about the issues, whether whether it be through our grassroots advocacy system on our website, phone calls, letters, even tweets. <laughs> It doesn't matter. They just need to hear the noise from the group of people that care about it. So yeah. that's what moves the needle. The constituents move the needle. The masses move the needle. So we really need the National Deer Alliance will only be as strong. Any of our deer organizations will only be as strong as our membership allows us to be. And we need people to, to really do that. Yeah. I, I, I'd i like to ask you some unfair questions, Nick. Okay. So forgive me in advance. <laughs> but you just listed a handful of different issues there that are going to be covered at the summit that are going to be discussed and covered by a panel of five or six different people per issue. I'm going to ask you to take the unfair burden of trying to cover each of those issues solo um, as best as you possibly can to give us at least a primer, if you can, on what you expect to be discussed or what you've been involved in leading up to this point. And I'd like to start with CWD, since you mentioned that might be the very most important issue right now in the deer hunting world. Um, where do things stand on CWD? What have what have we been learning over recent months in the last year? Um, what do we need to know right now? You know, I think, and, and this is why we're starting off, what we know about CWD. And I think what we need to know right now is that there's a lot of information out there about the disease. And at least half of it is bad, okay? At least half of it is bad information. At least half of it is being driven by people with, who have agendas to make it not seem like it's an important issue. And that's unfortunate. So we need to put out, we need to say what we know about the disease. And, and by the way, people who have an opposing view, on they're not, always, they're not necessarily wrong on everything, Okay. But when they, whenever you characterize it as something we shouldn't be concerned about and it's something that will weed its way out, of, that's, that's irresponsible because we don't know. That'd be great. That'd be great, by the way. If that was the case, that'd be wonderful. But that's very likely not the case, okay? We want to get out there what we actually know for sure about the disease. And there are some things that we do know for sure, and we need to make sure that people, that hunters, know what those things are, okay? And then we also, I'm hoping that leads to hope bringing, everyone needs to work together on this. We can all benefit from more research, better information, better ways to handle the disease. And this is it's 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 in very much in the best interest of a of a person that raises captive deer, as it is a deer hunter, to people that just care about wildlife. It's in all of our best interests to figure this thing out. So I'm hopeful that we get what we know out there, that we can agree on what we really know for the most part, and that we can get on a uniform message and actually 
that actually leads to solutions and not conjecture and misleading information and fake news is the hot yeah uh, hot hot thing you hear all the time we we can't you know deer deserve better than that frankly our wildlife deserves better than that and that's what i'm hoping we get to with cwd can you can you summarize for us some of the things that i that we know um when it comes to cwd is that something you can speak to a few of the core things that now because it's like every time i talk to someone on this topic, it, there's some new perspective or there's some new research or, or some new theory about how to deal with it or what's going on. Um, can you give us some kind of update as where things stand now? What's What do we believe is firm? What do we be, believe it's from or what? So that, Sorry, what, 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 do we, was... what do we firmly know? What can we say now that we do know oh, or sure. think we know? Sure. Well, number one, we know that it's out there. We know that it's spreading. Okay, that's for sure. We know that deer definitely die. All, any deer that gets CWD, that deer is on his way to dying. Now, one, you, you hear the argument sometimes that, uh, well, not all, not all deer that have CWD die from CWD. And that's, that's absolutely correct because a lot of times they meet up with a bullet or the front end of someone's Mercedes Benz or whatever, um, and they die of other reasons for sure. But a deer with CWD is a death sentence. That deer will die. That deer will also, while it's alive, spread prions to other deer. Uh, we know that you can't just in, uh, disinfect a site that had CWD, for example. Uh, you can't just go in and bleach down a, a deer pen, for example, that had it. Or a, let's say you have a, a property where there was some CWD positive deer found. Uh, that's a scary thing. We, don't, we do not know how to completely get rid of it once it's there. And it can be passed on for years. We know that. We know that moving deer, dead or alive, is really bad for the spread of CWD. So... I think as hunters, you're going to see more things coming down as to how you can handle that carcass after you shoot a deer. You know, you can't, a lot of hunters may not know, for example, if you shoot uh, just to pick a state, let's say uh, Illinois is a popular destination. Let's say you live in Pennsylvania and you go to Illinois for a deer hunt and you shoot a deer. You can't just throw it in the back of the truck and drive it back to Pennsylvania because you're breaking laws in every state you drive through on the way. Um, We need to get that information out to hunters. We know moving deer is bad. We know that that it can have population impacts based on the science. Uh, to your point, though, is that there is continually new information coming out, which is good. Uh, the more studies we have, the better. There are different arguments about how much does uh, well, deer urine, for example. Uh, what is the what is the real what is it? How realistic is it that you could spread CWD by buying a bottle of deer urine and using it, for example? Those are all things that are up for further study and debate. And there's you know people you can agree with and see points on both sides of the issue so it's not all clear we need to make sure we don't make clear statements where the information is not clear we need to say what we do know for sure and i think i went through some of those things so uh there's as much as we do know about it there's an awful lot we don't know but the irresponsible thing is to say it's not something to worry about i I would love to be proven wrong down the road and we find out that uh, this isn't something to be that worried about that'd be great (laughs) But but to sit here and hope for that as I've said in other talks, hope is not a strategy. We need to be proactive and, and do the best we can. We'll make mistakes, but we need to learn from them and we need to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there any tangible, um, at least from, from your perspective, having, you know, talked to a lot of people, I believe that are in expert positions with, when it comes to this topic. And you know, I'm sure you've been talking to a lot of people that are on the forefront of the research. Um, do we have any clear guidance as far as what the new best practices are for dealing with this? Um, you mentioned a couple of things that I'm sure are part of that. Um, but if you had to say today, 
given what we do know, given all those things you just mentioned, you know, these three things or something are seem to be the best practice for, for dealing with it right now. Is there anything like that that you can comment on? Yes. Well, I know that the states are working together through the Association for Fish and Wildlife Agencies to develop a list of best management practices. Um, you know, a lot of this, I know the states, as, as someone that works with the states and a lot of the state directors, I know they coordinate with each other. They talk. That's part of what we're trying to help with, to help be a convener. Uh, they're going to put together a list of, of best management practices. I expect that list to change over time, and it should, as we learn more, as we see what works and what doesn't. You know, and sometimes, sometimes an approach you take in Wyoming, for example, may not work in uh, Ohio, okay? So you have to be – sometimes these approaches are site-specific, but there are some management practices that are pretty solid, and the moving deer one is, a, is an example um, you know, states shooting deer in when they find an infected deer and then going in and shooting a certain number of deer and testing to understand how where the outbreak is or what the boundaries are. That I think you're going to see continue. To an extent, I think that's been scaled back from some of the early. I think we have learned from things we've done in the past. We've learned from, I don't want to pick on Wisconsin, but the, the problem with being first a lot of times is that you, the other people get to learn from your mistakes and you got to yeah. carry things around with you. So, um like I said, it's, we can't expect this to be perfect. We can't expect our state agencies to be perfect. We just have to know and believe that we're all trying to work toward a common goal here, and that is to find a way to deal with this disease. And that's that's really our hope, I think, going forward, is that let's find a way to work together on this thing and do something that's going to be really good for deer and hunters in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been one of those topics that has been, man, I mean, for – more than a decade now, it's been one of those hot button issues. And, you know, like you said early on with the things that Wisconsin was doing, trying to, you know, trial by fire, figuring things out. And now more and more and more states keep discovering CWD. Um, it's going to be obviously increasingly important for everyone to be educated on what's going on. And, and hopefully there'll be some answers coming here soon. Um, because to your point earlier, there's been a whole lot of unknowns that, that make it difficult to find a solution. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, this seems like a good place for us to pause briefly for our weekly Whitetail Wisdom segment from our friends at Whitetail Properties. And Spencer will take it from here. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Steve Perviance, a land specialist out of northwestern Oklahoma. And Steve is going to be telling us about what steps to take once you've decided to sell a piece of land. First, they need to come up with an idea of um, exactly what category it falls in. You know, a lot of the um, the sellers seems to be um, that I get really, I would say a good half of them anyway, come from out of state, maybe um, heirs to property that uh, they really don't have a lot to do with. They're not on a lot. Um, you know, maybe they have got it in a you know in a will and. Um, they really need to know a little about it. You know, of course, once they call me, I can look, I can do some research on the computer on aerial photos, and then of course, go out and look at it. But, uh, they, they really need to know what it is. I mean, is it ag ground? Is it, um, good grass? That's really just going to cater to, um, you know, local ranchers, or is it going to be a recreational piece with good hunting, potentially fishing that, um, would cater to a big wide, you know, scale of people, you know, out-of-staters, non-residents, people looking for um, for property to uh, enjoy and invest in. So uh, that's that's one of the first things they need to do. And then they need to find an agent, um, somebody local 
that um, really specializes in that. You know, of course, we specialize in recreational land hunting. Um, we can sell any of it and do, you know, every month. But um, we, we actually specialize in the hunting land. Um, but that's that, that would be the first steps um, to coming up with an idea of really what they've got to begin with. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Steve currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash purviance. That's P-U-R-B-I-A-N-C-E. So continuing on, um, how about the farm bill? What do deer hunters need, need to know about the farm bill? Why does that matter to deer hunters? You touched on a little bit with CRP, but can you expand on that um, as far as, as how that's an important issue moving forward? Yeah, I think one of the things that I think people follow politics on a general level. I mean, nowadays, it's almost like watching reality TV, and some of it doesn't even seem like reality with all the different things going on and the divisive politics that we have. But the reality is, is that the programs like the Farm Bill are decided upon by our government, ultimately. And when they're deciding who gets what piece of the pie, a lot of times conservation is one of the first things that gets cut. And we, at the expense of that, then, of course, is our wildlife, our hunting lifestyle, and a whole host of other things. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to have Whit Forsberg is going to, is going to get into CRP, for example, is one of those programs that for every acre you don't get in that program, that's another you know fawn that's probably going to get predated or another uh, thing that's going to impact deer on the landscape, among other wildlife. So it's important for hunters to be a little more aware of what that program is and that it is a farm bill program and that they can influence that by contacting legislators. And, you know, imagine of our 11 million or whatever the, you know, 11, 12 million deer hunters across the country, if, if even 5% of those contacted our legislators and said, CRP is important to us as a constituent, I'd really not to like to not see that cut. Well, that can actually have an impact. Yeah, I, I think a perfect example of something kind of like that. Um, and we were talking earlier about again the influence you can have when you have a large number of people you can activate on issues like this. Um, this is kind of skipping a little bit ahead to the topic of hunter access. Um, but as you know, you know earlier this year there had been a bill brought to the house asking to to sell a large large number million three point three million acres of public land. And the hunting community and many others out there said we are not okay with that and really turned up the temperature on legislators calling, sending emails, and that got that got pulled off. And I think that's a perfect example of the impact we could have on other things like the farm bill, hunter access in the future, all these different things, right? Yeah, and, and you and others covered that exceptionally well, and I hope people were paying attention and can and see that this is real we can really have an impact on these issues and it, like you said there was the heat was turned up and you saw that eventually getting pulled and you know if you're even if you're a deer hunter in georgia well you better darn well care about a, a land issue in utah okay because when some of these precedents are set and it's allowed to happen it's not far-fetched that it's going to happen in, in your state so as a deer hunting community whether you're a person that likes to chase mule deer or white tails or black tails, we need to, we need to really stick together and, and work together on these issues, regardless of if it's in our own backyard or not. Yeah. 
Very true. On that topic then, hunter access, is there anything is there anything else top of mind when it comes to the access issue other than the, the kind of big um, elf in the room, which has been this whole land transfer movement and things like that? Um, anything else when it comes to hunter access, whether it be east, west, midwest, anywhere that we should be aware of or that's going to be important in the discussions coming up? Yeah, and I think the reason I brought in Kansas and North Dakota is because they have really good programs that are run through the state. Having lived in North Dakota myself at one time, there, there's a program called um, Private Lands Open to Sportsman Plots. That was a great program that I took advantage of when I was there, and many others do as well. Uh, Kansas has their walk-in only hunting program, where these are places you can drive down the road and see one of these farms that are signed that they're part of that program, and you can literally pull over and go hunt. It's uh, That's a good program. We need to make it that easy for people. So I'm hopeful that this these programs are the types of things we can replicate but we also brought in the other end of the spectrum which i think will make it interesting and that is uh we have a represent representation from a group there on the panel that does this on a more private level so it's a almost a private leasing aspect of getting people access because you know leasing is not going to go away but how does that play into the bigger need for access because leasing is another form of access Mm -hmm. access isn't just knock on a door and gain permission and then there's the whole bigger picture. I know, uh, you know, the, for example, you took advantage of public access, public land to shoot a nice buck in Montana last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, as well as anybody, the importance of, of these issues. And we're going to try to try to hit it from from every angle and, and hopefully get to some solutions in some states that have really, really deep access problems. Yeah. And to your, to your point earlier. The whole hunter access thing is incredibly important because like the transitive property, because hunter access is key to hunter retention and recruitment. Hunter retention and recruitment is key to, you know, having a voter base that stands up and supports what we're trying to do here. So, you know, that is so not only is it important just selfishly for like me as an individual, I want somewhere to hunt, but it's also really important in the big picture for we need to have People need the ability to get out and do this so they care about this so that all of us can continue to enjoy this resource and this activity. Um, it all is, is linked together, um, which makes it hard to kind of say, okay, what do we focus our time on when all these things all matter so much to each other, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, big, it's a big pie. But, I mean, imagine, just boil it down very simply, imagine teaching your child all the fundamentals of basketball and you dribble a lot around the the house or in the backyard or whatever, and you get really great at the fundamentals. And finally the kid says, okay, now I want to go play basketball. Well, we don't really have a hoop and (laughs) we don't have a court to play on and we really don't have any, any place to play. Well, how long is that kid going to stay interested in basketball? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So then, uh, your, your pet, um, you mentioned you're particularly interested in this because of your, your background, the political and social science of deer management. What what exactly do you mean by that? And and what what can you share as far as as where we are with this kind of topic and why it matters? Yeah, I think the first thing is the reality of today is, is that political science will outweigh the, the biological science on issues. So deer biologists, for example, can't just say, well, because of this science, then we need to do this. Well, the legislator gets a hold of that and it doesn't meet their agenda, for example, or not even just the legislator. I'm going to always point the finger at them, even a group of deer hunters. 
who can make a lot of noise that don't want to do X or Y. It might be bad for deer, but it's, it's, it might be good for deer, but it's bad for their personal agendas. That tends to get more play than the actual science itself. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But then there's this whole dynamic of getting hunters motivated and interested in the issues. We know that most hunters, really, they just want to hunt and they do it because it's something they enjoy and they want to get away from stuff that seems like work, right? How do we get our messages formulated in a way that, number one, gets their attention but motivates them to action? So the psychology of the hunter is so interesting because, like I said, you know, if you stop doing wired to hunt and you quit talking about tactics and how to hunt this or hunting stories, you're going to not have a lot of followers pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I think it's most important that people are excited in those types of topics because that's the passion that drives. But again, I, I ask people to just give back a little bit more. How do we, how do we get the message right to give people to become, to get people to become more well-rounded and more likely to participate in an issue and even even a one percent change. Let's say we go if we if we go from one percent to two percent of the people are active on issues, we just doubled. Yeah. So, I think we have some realistic opportunity out there to get people engaged. But but as an outdoor industry, I mean, I've said this many times. I've been very critical of our industry in terms of how how we message about our sport to everybody and how. The focus is always is first, how do we get somebody out there as a hunter whenever we skip the whole step of explaining why hunting is imp important and why you might want to be a participant. Um, we're terrible as an industry at getting this message out ourselves because we don't understand it because most of us are hunters and we just grew up with it. So let's bring in some people from some universities some human dimensions experts that understand this better to us and help us get the message right. So this is a, this is a reach out for help, I think, to other people that can – help us understand something that, that we're not great at. Yeah. To people, okay, so selfishly, myself and the position I'm in, you know, I believe in what you're talking about very much, and I would love to find a way to to try to engage people more so in these issues. So for someone like me or for someone listening who himself or herself, they – agree with this. They want to try to get their friends and family members to care about this stuff more, to engage more. Is there any tangible advice um, to me or someone listening about how to do our own little part on this? I mean, other than, you know, bring it up more often, is there anything that, that from your background or from conversations with other people on this topic, are there any actual different ideas for how we can do a better job of, of activating people and engaging people in these things? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things we want to we want to get to out of this panel. I don't have I don't have the best answer. I, I can tell you that one thing. Number one, this show, for example, you taking the time to have me on your program, that helps uh, because you cover a, a variety of different issues, and you're you you're following. Here's this. They know it's important to you, who's very plugged into the industry and important things. So that helps. Uh, some more things like this for sure. We, it just has to come up in conversation. Is when you get to deer camp, obviously a lot of the conversation is about past deer hunting, and I think that's critical. Uh, you know, to have that, the heritage, and to continue to pass that on, and the excitement of deer hunting. 
I think I think we need to have deer issues and conservation issues be more of a topic of conversation around deer camps. And, and one way I think it's going to happen naturally, and that is, again, I mentioned earlier that so many people, and most of most deer hunters are older. I forget the exact age of the average hunter, but it's older. Might even be might even be in the fifties, actually. Well, none of those people, and including myself, really grew up having to worry a whole lot about the issues. Our biggest concern was if they, you know, if they changed the way you could hunt does, for example. Right. Um, that was the big issue to deal with. So I think the younger people now that are coming up and will eventually replace the the folks in the older age brackets are they're growing up with this more now. So much the same way that we had a, we had a great talk today at the NSSF summit about millennials. Okay. A term that gets thrown around a lot. And, but the reality is my ears are ringing. Said, yeah. Yeah. I know <laughs> the speaker, but the speaker says, Mark, he says, you know, what you need to understand is my kids growing up. And he said their age is like one, three and six, something like that. They grow up never having never seen a phone with a cord that was attached to something. Right. So to them, what they see is that's just how it's always been because that's how it's been to them. And that the light went off in my head when I think about deer issues and that now I think people coming into the sport, it's not enough to just teach someone hunter education in terms of safety. And I mean, that's important, obviously, but we also need to start injecting into that the idea that you need to be aware of issues. And that's part of hunter education. It's not just how do I kill an animal? It's how do I make sure as part of that process that I give back and that I'm attentive to issues that are important to wildlife conservation. So I'm hopeful that people who are now growing up with this will be able to carry that message better than what folks who haven't, frankly, had to deal with it. It's hard to get them activated and interested. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, we are we're coming up on our on our time, so I want to ask you one final question, I guess, here before before you've got to run off to your myriad of different things on the schedule. But what is and we we might have already covered it, but I'm just curious of all the things we talked about or other things. What's the one thing that is keeping you up at night the most? What concerns you the most as far as issues facing deer or deer hunters? And then number two, what encourages you the most? Yeah, and and I've answered this question many times, and my answer hasn't changed. And my biggest concern, other than, I mean, people I think expect me to say it's chronic wasting disease. Actually, it's apathy. It's people only caring about their own personal deer hunt or their own personal situation and taking a bit of a selfish approach to it. Uh, that's, that's what keeps me up at night. I, I want to have, I want people to be informed. I want them to be informed with good information and I want, to, want them to be active and not just spend all their time fighting with their state wildlife agency or, uh, you know, whoever it may be. That's the biggest issue that keeps me up at night. And I hope that's where, over time, the National Deer Alliance will be able to bring hunters together. And we may not always agree on everything. We're not going to always agree on everything. But let's at least agree that we're all on the same team and that we need to work together and that we all need to be well-rounded hunters and conservationists. Yeah. And then what, what encourages you? I see traction. I see even with just not quite two years with the Deer Alliance, I see, I can already see people taking an extra second to think about issues. So I think that there's hope. 
I see states talking together about deer issues at a higher level than has probably ever been seen in terms of state wildlife agencies. Um, and what I mentioned earlier about young people getting into hunting who are learning about these things as they're becoming hunters. So it's not all gloom and doom, and I, I don't want to give people that impression. Deer herds are strong for the most part. Uh, we're, we have older age class deer, most for the most part across the landscape. If you read the QDMA's deer report that they put out, um, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to be a deer hunter, but it's also a challenging time in terms of needing to be aware of the issues. So let's not get 20 years down the road and say, oh, you know what? I wish I'd have been more active on this. Let's be active now while it's still good, as opposed to trying to correct something that could potentially go really wrong down the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. And, um, and I think what you guys are doing with the national deer Alliance and, um, you know, there's all the things behind the scenes, but front and center for everyone, just on a personal level, the information you guys are putting out through the newsletter, social media, all these different things, that's a really easy first step to, to help move forward on these things is just being informed. And, um, you know, we're trying to do our part here with Wired to Hunt. And, um, you know, some of that also those falls on falls on each of us as individuals to to engage with that stuff and take the extra 10 minutes a day to, to read that article or, you know, tap into things when they, when they pop up. So I'm, I'm appreciative of what you guys are doing and the fact that there's a lot of good people and organizations standing up for wildlife and wild places and, and our rights as hunters. And, uh, and I'm encouraged by that too. So, so Nick, thank you for taking the time to do this. Do you have one action item you want to give our listeners uh, to take away from this? Yes, join the National Deer Alliance. There you go. <laughs> it's free. It, it doesn't cost you anything. It's free. Go to nationaldeeralliance.com, sign up. You'll get our newsletter that Mark mentioned, and we try to do our best to pick up the national, uh, the bigger national deer stories on a weekly basis. We pull you for your opinion. Sign up. It's free. Uh, don't, you don't even have to read all the newsletters. Just read most of them. <laughs> there you go. It's it's easy to do, and, and good stuff always. So, Appreciate your time, Nick, and uh, best of luck with the summit. I can't wait to hear about things, how things go. All right. Thanks again for the opportunity, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good thing. Sounds like it. And there you go. But before you go, I've got a couple quick things on my end that I want to mention to you. And for those of you who have stuck around here to the end, I've got a special deal I want to, uh, to try out today. I'm going to give away five Wired to Hunt hats this week, and I'm going to do that through Instagram. So if you'd like to be one of those hat winners, all you need to do is follow Wired to Hunt on Instagram and then send me a direct message through the app saying that you heard this and that you want to win a hat. That's all you got to do. Really easy. Follow Wired to Hunt on Instagram and send a message about this. I'll then take everyone that participates and pull five random winners and ship you guys a hat. So Head over to Instagram and get some free swag. It's that it's that easy. And if you're not already following Wired to Hunt there on Insta, the username is the at sign and then Wired to Hunt. That's all one word. So check it out and uh, appreciate you guys doing that. We'll get some prizes sent out ASAP. My second ask is for a rating or review on iTunes. I know many of you have already done that, and they just make such a big difference. I think more than 600 and 70 some of you have been kind enough to take the time to do that already and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it thank you thank you thank you in fact actually let's uh let's take a look here here's one from someone by the name of T 
Chamberlain, who left a review just a couple days ago, and they gave us five stars and said, This podcast is going to completely change the way I hunt. After making the decision to pursue mature whitetails two years ago, this is the perfect podcast for me and my addiction. That is awesome. Thanks so much, Chamberlain. And next, of course, we want to thank our partners who have stood up and supported what we're doing here. So big thank you to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally, thank you all for listening. I hope you found value in this one. I hope you'll continue to join me in standing up for deer and deer hunting, and I hope you'll stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.